Welcome everybody to the Tom and Dave show. This is episode nine slash 13. Um, we get a little bit weird with the sequencing of ours because we've chopped, we chopped our first couple into like three different parts. So uh, we've got, we're calling it like uh, in college football when you have the team ranked like 12th slash 16th. Um, <laughs> but in any event, uh, we've got a very special guest today, Justin Rowan from the Chase Down podcast. Justin, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, happy to be here. Happy to talk about the Cavs because uh, they're exciting for once. Yeah, it's it was not one of the teams that I was expecting to jump out to. What was it, four and zero start this year? Uh, th- so it's a three and zero start. They dropped two and then somehow got that uh, fourth win uh, against Atlanta, which w- was a little bit of a surprise. But yeah, I, I mean the the early schedule was easy, but I, I still don't think people anticipated looking like this. Yeah, I mean, even if it's not exactly the uh, most daunting game, you still got to go out and win them. Yeah. Uh, so the Cavs have definitely been, I don't know, probably the biggest early season surprise in my mind in the NBA. I mean, at least on the side of, like, the teams that are unexpectedly really good. We can leave the Denver Nuggets over here for now with <laughs> kind of the underperforming bit. Uh, but I suppose while we're talking Cavs, I want to get right into it. Um, this Sexland backcourt, um, Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, how much fun has this been for like five games of this year to see it really just clicking? It's been a ton of fun. So I think what kind of stands out to me is I always try to find out kind of, I get my honest analysis of what's going on, what I think of players. And then I probably skew like maybe 15, 20% optimistic because that's just the way I view sports. It's more fun that way. I don't feel like I'm protecting myself by, uh, keeping expectations low I'm, i want to have fun either way um but to actually see kind of the flashes that we saw last year materialize right away especially after an abbreviated training camp short in preseason and all that uh for darius garland to kind of really take that next step as a passer for colin sexton to improve in the areas that you were really hoping for seeing that kind of an instant return is really kind of a testament both to how hard they worked in the offseason and kind of the the positive steps that this coaching staff has taken. So um, the way that they're excelling, I, I think, is more exciting than just a random hot streak because th- this seems like something that's a little more sustainable. I would agree with that, actually. Um, I don't know. I was watching some Darius Garland highlights at one point, and I was like, oh, this – like the good here almost reminds me of like a D'Angelo Russell type, like just in the way that he kind of – approaches like that high lane area and is very dangerous from there it's Mm -hmm. exciting to see now is this i'm assuming this is kind of the core that you would look to build around if you're a Cavs fan or do you think there are limitations there that you might need to um shore up else like with the rest of the roster how do you how do you feel about the team building around them so I, I think they're in a good position because I actually think that this is a healthy environment for internal development. They have a lot of young prospects that all kind of play similar positions on, on the perimeter, and they really have to go out there and compete for minutes. Now, that's a little less true right now because they, they've been so in, uh, injured. Um, but once everybody's healthy, J.B. Pickerstaff kind of has the luxury of saying, okay, Sexton, you're really not performing on the defensive end you're, you're taking a few bad shots I'm going to put in Kevin Porter Jr I'm going to put in Isaac Okoro or Dante Axum Damian Dotson like there, there's a lot of uh, bodies uh, for the Cavs to kind of implement the accountability that they've been preaching um, there are obviously some limitations to 
that backcourt when, when you're looking at both of them, even though Sexton has a, a good wingspan, I believe it's like six seven, six eight. Uh Darius Garland's six five wingspan, and, and sometimes that wingspan can help out make up for whatever you're missing in size. But I, I think the reason why it's important for these two to play together is even if one moves to the bench, like let, let's say Colin Sexton what we've seen right now isn't sustainable. He drops off a little bit and he's kind of a little more what we saw last year, which is an efficient 20 point per game scorer. Yeah. If he's coming in off the bench and he's playing 30, 34 minutes a night, it's impossible for those two guys to not play at least like 16 to 20 minutes together. Those minutes have to be productive, no matter who ends up blossoming in this role. So I, I do think while people focus on what, what the uh, combinations are for the first few minutes of a game, Really, when you're talking about 48 minutes across every single position, you have to be able to make multiple combinations work and you need to be able to make multiple looks work if you're going to be a successful team. So I, I think that's why it's so important um, to, to see that this duo playing well together. Now with this I, duo... I agree. Hmm. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Dave, go ahead. Uh, yeah. Uh, now with this duo... Um, I know that last year they were facing uh, uh, a lot of scrutiny and issues on the, the defensive end of the court. And I think the most surprising stat that I've seen in this early season with the Cavs, uh, as of this morning, they were had the second best defensive rating in the NBA. Um, what do you think uh, has, has led to that? Is it like um, some changes in the roster or have Sexton, have like, you know, Sexton and Garland really... Um, improved on that end like is it bigger staff like where do you think this like I don't think any of us were expecting the Cavs to be this like defensive juggernaut of the team <laughs> but so far in the season they have been yeah so I, I think there's a lot of different answers there we, we were actually just talking about this on the podcast um, yesterday um, like I think some of it strength of schedule they haven't played a lot of great teams there's been some luck there, there's been some variance um, but I do think that there is an impact that this coaching staff had. The, these guys know where they're supposed to be on the defensive end. They understand when it's a pick and roll situation, the guard's supposed to be going over. We're playing some drop coverage with the bigs. Whereas last year, there was a lot of confusion. They didn't know when they're supposed to be switching, when when they're playing drop. Like what, what, there, there was just so much confusion that I think sticking to one system helps, especially when you have the, this many young guys. And the other part of it is kind of the, the improvement that Garland Sexton have made, uh, having Andre Drummond there as a legit kind of rim deterrent. He, he's got his weaknesses defensively, and uh, I don't think he's anywhere as impactful as his numbers would indicate. But at least for what they need defensively, he's a big body at the rim. JaVale McGee's a big body at the rim. Like the, their deterrence, and, and that helps out. You got Larry Nance Jr. that's playing with Kevin Love out, and he's leading the league in steals. That makes a difference. Like, um, I, I just think that there is more of a buy-in. They understand where they're supposed to be. And there's natural growth. I mean, Sexton and Garland, 19 and 20 years old last year. Garland wasn't healthy at all. He looks way more explosive. He's got those active hands. Sexton's finally not in a position where he's on ball all the time using all that energy. And some of that is now translating to more assists, uh, more effort on the defensive end, or at least more consistent on-ball effort. So th there's a lot of things that go into it, but I, I really do think one of the biggest differences is just the continuity with the coaching staff and guys understanding what their responsibilities are. Yeah, I feel like it says a lot that like in year, what, eight or nine of the Andre Drummond career, we've <laughs> like the Cavs have finally 
unlocked good enough defender Andre Drummond. I'm like, <laughs> how many helps did Detroit go through trying to get to just this level with him? Right. And, and I, I do anticipate that the defense is going to drop off at some point. Like, I, I do, sure. I, like, I, I, if I had to guess where they finish this year, like maybe they'll be 18th offensively and 24th defensively, but that's a big improvement from the worst defense in the league, like in league history. Oh, yeah. Like that's what they've been the last few years. And especially when you're playing this many young guys, and, and this has been a big part of uh, kind of my preview for this season is they have the talent when everything's clicking, they can compete with a lot of different teams. But when you're relying on so many young guys to execute on both ends of the floor, you're going to have inconsistent showings. You're going to lose to teams that you should beat. You're going to beat some teams that you, you should lose to. Um, and like, that's part of the growing process, right? It's very funny hearing you mention all of these things about the Cavs because I'm a New York Knicks fan. And I feel like I'm thinking a lot of the same things here where it's like, look, like, I'm just excited to have like something here because there's more than <laughs> nothing right now. And like, like, like I'm not getting too far out over my skis on it, but there's something to build mm-hmm. with here. Like we can yeah. find positives where last year we might not have been able to as much. Exactly. And I mean, some people are still going to look at basketball as are you a contender or are you not? But yep. I mean, really there's so much talent in this league, like even the bad teams, have a lot of young talent and guys to, to look out for. And I personally, I find that development really intriguing. You, you look at the Knicks, uh, RJ Barrett starting to get into his own kind of taking that same leap as Garland where, yeah, yeah just need a little more time needed uh, to, to work on his body and obviously did put the work in, in the off season. Uh, yeah. I think Obi Toppin, once he comes back to the lineup is going to help them out as well. Uh, having a competent coach in there in Thibodeau. I, I think that's making a, a similar uh, impact to what the Cavs are seeing with Bickerstaff. So yeah. I, I do think the number one thing is culture. And, and yeah. once you're starting to create that culture of accountability, and maybe some of this has to do with the new lottery odds. I mean, you're as familiar as, with the new odds as the Cavs are right now. We're, we're falling yeah. back every single year. So there's not really that same incentive. Develop the players you got, and maybe you're going to end up on the other side of that lottery lock. I'm glad you mentioned that sort of all or nothing uh, rebuilding approach. We call that the NBA 2K rebuild on this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I call I call it the Ricky Bobby approach. If it's not first, you're last. <laughs> first, I you're hate last. it. I hate it. Yeah, we've talked about that a lot as just being like kind of a depressing way to follow any sports team, really, but especially in the NBA to just think like if you're in the playoffs, it's championship or bust. And if you're not in the playoffs, it's playoffs or bust and thinking that it's no fun to follow like a uh, quote-unquote losing team. But mm-hmm. we were just talking about this um, in our previous episode with the Knicks about like some eternal, internal development goals um, that like some of the young Knicks players should have. Um, so transitioning that to the Cavs, what are some like tangible things that you want to see Sexton improve on, Garland, Okoro, you know, any of those young guys? Yeah, so I think with them, I want to see them, (laughs) as funny as it is to say, I want to see them fail doing the right things, right? Like, I want to see Garland trying to figure out, okay, I don't have my shot tonight, so I'm going to try to knife through traffic. I'm going to get turnovers in in the name of making the right play and figuring out that right balance, right? Like, I think with the current discourse, so often it's, okay, this guy had a bad shooting game. This guy sucks. They, they, it's, he's a bust. They, they've wasted this. Whereas like 
that's part of the process. Look at Kemba Walker's rookie year after a great college season. He sucked. He was worse than Garland. Uh, Jamal Murray was terrible in his rookie season. Like the way you get better is by trying to execute and, and trying to do the right things. And it just takes reps, right? Like, I, I think that's the most important thing about when we're talking about the, the team building philosophy of all or nothing. If you're actually trying to win, you have more usable game footage. If you're trying to execute on the defensive end, you can figure out what you did wrong on that possession when you're looking back at it versus, well, I wasn't trying. And, and once I start trying and once we're, we're trying to win, uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, the Cavs learned that lesson last time in the last rebuild because even after adding uh, LeBron, Kevin Love, Sean Marion, like a whole bunch of other guys and saying we're all in, they started 20 and 21 because the guys that were still there had bad habits. They had losing habits. And uh, I think uh, there's been kind of acknowledgement of where they fell short in the past and past rebuilds. And, and really it does come down to, okay, there's accountability, there's uh uh, competition for minutes and, and I really think that that's the most important thing when you're looking at young teams like so, sorry to drone on and on here but look at the the final eight in the playoffs last year almost none of those teams had high lottery picks and if they had high lottery picks it wasn't from tanking like it, Denver has been internal development, making the most of those positions. Miami, internal development, making the most of those positions. They uh, developed enough talent to trade for Jimmy Butler, who is kind of disgruntled. That's exactly how Toronto won. Um, like, that is the more consistent model when you look at the NBA. Like, they're the only example of a tanking team that made the conference finals that I can think of in the last decade is the Thunder. And they drafted three straight MVPs. Like that yeah. is not a sustainable model. Develop the guys you have. And even if you don't have a cornerstone guy, you might develop enough pieces to make a trade for one. Yeah, I think that's a really valid point, actually. Um, I don't know. I mean, you mentioned Denver. Like they basically, what, hit on a high pick in the second round and we're all of a sudden set up like this drafting can be kind of a crapshoot and like we say it all the time first round picks just don't work sometimes mm -hmm. yeah um, and the other thing is i think there's more talent coming into the league than ever like it used to be that you needed like that top five top eight pick because there just wasn't that much talent coming in look at like the last few drafts like there is deep, oh yeah. deep talent you can get rotation players throughout the first round and even into the second round now like um you you see a lot of these second round picks are the four-year uh college like almost pros at that point that has specialized skill sets that can help out a team. Like there's so much value there that sometimes I, I think teams are, are too kind of caught up on taking a big home run swing when yeah. um, it's not a liability for someone to already be good at something in the NBA. Even like we were just talking about it on our show yesterday, like the number of sort of mid to late first round guards that have just been tearing it up so far this year, mm -hmm. like guys like Maxi, Tyrese Halliburton, like Cole Anthony, just, playing significant minutes on teams that aren't bad right now. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th I think Malachi Flynn with the Raptors, whenever he starts getting burned like that, that's another guy that I think is really yeah. polished. It, it's a very, like, the league is deep, and, and the incoming talent is as deep as it's ever been. Even though this was a draft that wasn't said to have top-end talent, like, there's yeah. still a lot of really solid rotation players and starters that are going to come from this draft. No, I'd agree. It's deeper than I thought it would be. Um, on a little bit of a pivot, um, let's talk about Andre Drummond. So <laughs> I like how, yeah, Andre Drummond is like this subject we need to like 
introduced gently. Like, okay, we're going to have the drumming discussion now. <laughs> yes, um, yes. But, like, he – what do you see his role on at for this Cavs team going forward? Like, is he kind of, like, fun piece to make it easier for Garland and Sexton to play offensively? Like, is he just a, a guy we're going to have for now and eventually we'll move on from? Or is he someone you want to keep around for a bit? Like, what's – what do you see the dynamic as with Andre Drummond and the Cavs? Yeah, so he was someone that I had advocated the Cavs trading for last season, I think around like January, because uh, I, I thought, hey, this is an interesting kind of buy low guy. He gives you an idea of what Garland, Sexton, KPJ would look like with a big man that plays like that. Um, unfortunately, that experiment got cut short with COVID. You go through the offseason, they kind of looked into extension talks, and that didn't materialize that they were kind of far apart on what they saw as his value um so i I do anticipate that the Cavs are going to move him at the deadline um i I think there's going to be a market for him both as a large expiring as and as someone that can help as a rental right oh yeah um so i i do think that there is going to be a, a market for drummond i know brian windhorse had talked about that and really, when you're looking at it from a cast perspective, like it, it was always a bit of an asset play. Like they gave up John Henson and Brandon Knight for him and a protected yeah. second round pick. Like as long as your return for Drummond is better than that, um, <laughs> like in the long run, that that's a win. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think like there's parts of Drummond, like I, I think he is more effective than he gets credit for. I think he yeah. kind of yeah. falls into, and I'll credit my co-host Carter Rodriguez for this one. Um, he gets credited for the DeRozan syndrome. Like, yes, he's effective, but people just don't like watching him play. So that kind of deflates his value. So I do think that he can help out for the right money. I'd be fine with an extension in Cleveland. It just doesn't seem like that's likely. So I I wouldn't be surprised if he's moved to a a team like the Clippers. I I think they might be in the mix. Maybe you can find some way to get Zubak in there. If you get a third team in, Um, there's going to be teams that, that are looking to to add a center, especially when so many of the prominent players on the best teams are centers, right? Like you got Jokic, you got Anthony Davis, you got Embiid, like you got so many guys that require you to have a body to throw at them and, and make them work. So um, I don't think he's a long-term fit for this team, but I, I do think while he's here, he's, he's going to be an asset in terms of developing the young guys. I think one of the sh- like better endorsements that I've found on Andre Drummond is just like whenever he plays the Celtics, Celtics fans hate it. Like just for years <laughs> on end, it was, yeah, no, Andre Drummond gives us hell. I don't know. Like this is just the way these games go. He's got 23 and 15 and we haven't even played the fourth quarter yet. Yeah. Um, but he's like you said, like he's a body and even, if you look out west, like the Lakers are throwing like two centers, really, like depending on how you think of Anthony Davis positionally. But like, yeah. you're going to need just like horses in the front court. And like, he can be one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, when you really look at it, this is a guy that puts up 17 points, 15 boards, three assists, two steals, two blocks. Like, that is that's production like it's a lot better in fantasy than it is in real basketball but it is still good in real basketball like that that is not nothing yeah like there's definitely something there yeah um just to continue with the drum and talk a little bit because i I think it's talked about a lot um how like some of these like kind of empty stats empty calories kind of players um i'm a heat fan so i watched about three years of hassan whiteside um (laughs) be our starting center um, so I understand it, but just for like the listeners, what because I, I think there is a real disconnect between those people that might 
play fantasy basketball or play NBA 2K and see Andre Drummond put up these big stats, what is it that you're seeing on the court that makes his like, you know, box score production not really match up? Yeah, so I think one of the things that jumps out is it's just inconsistency, right? Like, I, I think with the center position in today's NBA, there's two types that you want. You either want the Jokic or Bam type where you can run offense through them. Uh, they're versatile on, on both ends of the floor, maybe Jokic less so on the defensive end. Um, but, you know, they, they can do a lot of different things out there that complement your offense. Then you have guys like a Tristan Thompson who isn't going to do anything outside of his strengths. He, he's going to set hard picks. He's going to find those gaps off ball. Um, he, he's going to be productive in those kind of ways. And, and I think those are kind of the two ideal centers that you'd get. Then you get your Andre Drummond, who when he's attacking the rim, uh, when he's making smart decisions, um, can be really effective. And from possession to possession, it's just not always there. He will go on runs where he has fantastic games where he's attacking the rim um, and, and really making a difference out there. And then there's other times where he's going to be demanding a few too many post-ups. Um, some of those, like, he'll get four shots and five rebounds on a single possession because he's just tapping that ball up there. And, like, yeah, he <laughs> sure, he, he may have scored the two points there, but when you're looking at, at the box score, um, five rebounds there looks a whole lot more impressive than just finishing it on the first play. Um, he, he'll also take some three-pointers when, when you don't want him to, um, he, even though he's starting to make those a, a little more consistently. It, it's just he's trying to do a little too much outside of his strengths, and I, I think that can kind of have a negative impact on how much impact he has on a game. So continuing this kind of talk about some of these older players on this young team, um, where are you at with Kevin Love's position on this team? I know he's, is he still injured at the moment? Yeah, he's going to be out for, I think, three or four weeks Okay, uh, with a calf strain he re-aggravated. Mm -hmm. So do you see Love on a like good version of this Sexland team in like a year or two? Or do you think he his time in Cleveland might have passed? So that's a very complicated question because there have been swings in how enthusiastic love has seemed to be in Cleveland. Um, I think there is always going to be some appreciation for him. And if there is a parting between he and the team, I, I think most Cavs fans would like him to, to see him end up in a good situation. I think he's going to stay on the team for the rest of the season. I don't think there's going to be much of a trade market. I think we're at a stage where both parties would be comfortable with moving on if it was the right deal. Um, I, I think there's going to be more of a market for him in the offseason, especially with so many free agents coming off um, off the board and there's still being so much cap space there. Teams have been planning for a long time to make a splash in free agency, um, and now those free agents aren't there. And you look at Kevin Love, still productive, can still be a good player. Uh, he's going to have a year less on his contract. So now all of a sudden, it's only two years where, where you're paying him that $30 million. And I, I think that becomes a lot easier for teams to swallow. So if I had to kind of anticipate what the future is going to be, he gets moved in the summer. Um, but, you know, as Sexton played better last season, you saw Love's buy-in kind of change. Because, I mean, ultimately, he's a guy that wants to win. And he's owned up that he didn't always respond in, in the best way when things weren't going well. He, he gets frustrated on the court and, and sometimes he can't really hold that in. 
but he's a competitor, right? Like, and as the team got better, he put on a better face. He was enjoying it more. So I do anticipate that this year is going to be a little more enjoyable for him. Maybe that changes the calculus or changes how urgently he wants to get out of town. Um, but I, I do think ultimately they'll part ways before the end of that contract. I do just want to mention while we're talking about sort of like the memories of disgruntled Kevin Love. And like, I'm very happy to he's happier to be on the court right now but one of the funniest things that i saw happen in basketball last year was the clip where like john beeline is screaming from the sideline kevin loves just walking around the three-point line he gets it and just overhand launches it at somebody's like shins and then just puts his hand on his hip and it's like yep this is the possession for me yeah i i loved it i'm happy he's doing better now but it was really funny oh it's funny as hell i, I mean like that's part of the experience, right? Like when you're talking about podcasting and talking about a team that is firmly in a rebuild or renaissance, yeah. whatever the Cavs want to call it. Um, like those are the moments you, you kind of have to just kind of shrug your shoulders and laugh, right? Like you, you get it. You, it. They're human. Like it, yeah. this is part of the process. Uh, I'm sure like if you guys have played in men's league or high school basketball or college basketball like you have those moments you have people that you love as people and you hate playing with or, or vice versa um and like that's just part of the experience and the uh the beeline experience was certainly um unique Let, let's call it that <laughs> it's a very nice like diplomatic phrasing of it <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, the Cavs had the fifth pick in the draft this year. Um, they drafted Isaac Okoro. Um, I, I saw a lot of, uh, I feel like, mixed opinions when it happened. Um, mm -hmm. But as this season has gone on, uh, obviously, we're, you know, haven't even hit the 10 game mark yet. What have you seen from Okoro? And do you think he is someone that you can, like, conceivably see in the future? being next to garland and sexton yeah so i went pretty full basketball hipster when it came to this draft um i i think because these guys didn't play as many games as normal uh there was pretty varying opinions on everyone okoro i i had second on my board behind okongu uh, uh i was just really high on those two guys um because I, I didn't really believe in anyone being kind of an offensive catalyst yeah but Okoro's really impressed me early on. Like, the mechanics of the shot look cleaner than it was uh, at Auburn. Um, his intelligence on both ends of the floor, understanding where he needs to be and what the right basketball play is, really impresses me. And he's just someone that, that really stands out. He, he's another one of those top 1% uh, work ethic guys along with Sexton. And the biggest thing with Okoro was whether or not he was going to be able to knock down that outside shot. And one of the real strengths of this Cavs player development staff has been developing jump shots. Like, Jetty Osmond could not shoot when he got to the NBA, and they turned him into a viable three-point shooter. Shot 37% on good volume last season. Larry Nance Jr., they've added the three-point shot. Colin Sexton could not shoot coming out of Auburn. That was a big part of it. And he is now one of the better three-point shooters. He, he was up there with uh, Steph and Larry Bird uh, in for his rookie year. Um, that graphic still makes me laugh. It <laughs> really, really reminds me of the Thad Young graphic. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I know you guys know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. um, but like, th this is what they've done well with. And the, the fact that he came into camp already, uh, having worked on his jumper and cleaning up the mechanics, makes things a whole lot easier for them. And he, he's someone that 
I've become even higher on seeing what he brings to the table, hearing the stories of the work ethic. And um, we had Dave Dufour on the podcast uh, last week, and he said that he has Okoro as the highest ceiling guy on the Cavs. I'm not there yet. I'm far from it. <laughs> um, I, I'd probably have him like third. But the fact that he's in that conversation uh, with other guys that Dave's high on um, is a really great sign. And I, I just think... It's funny that we've had a few years now of players getting drafted and a lot of the analysis being, hey, I really like this prospect. This this is a good prospect, but I just hate that he's going to Cleveland. Well, if you take enough of those guys, eventually your franchise kind of turns around. That That's usually how the NBA works. <laughs> yeah, going to Cleveland becomes a much better prospect, the more prospect. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, assuming that Garland and Sexton are number one and two on that uh, highest ceiling on the Cavs list. Who's one and who's two? Just curious uh, on this. So you'll actually find this funny. I have Sexton fourth on ceiling. I wow. um, I had Kevin Porter Jr. as their top ceiling. Uh, that's something that the Cavs had said last year um, yeah. as well. Um, I would say KPJ probably has the lowest floor as well. I mean, he hasn't yep. played for uh, a lot of those reasons. Um uh, Sexton probably has the highest floor, but if I have to kind of rank ceiling, I'd probably go KPJ, Garland, Okoro, Sexton. Like, I, I just think the value of wings really makes a difference. And yep. Garland's kind of that live ball threat that can hit a, a three from anywhere, can create for other guys, and that just adds a different level. And, and I'm high on Sexton. Like, I, I think yep. he can be a really, really good player and a, a great combo guard in the league. Um, but when, when you're talking about kind of what swings the needle most when you're talking about team building, I, I just think those other guys have a bit of an edge. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. Like, I feel like that Garland, KPJ, Mold are like two of the more types of players that the league is moving towards. Right, right. And I, I mean, this upcoming draft, I still expect the Cavs to be in the lotto, has a lot of kind of point forwards and, and wings, and maybe that one of them gets in, in the mix here too. Um, but like, I'm not discounting Garland and Sexton working as a combo. Like you oh, yeah. might just end up subbing one of them out after four minutes. And like, that's what they're already doing. Or you might end up starting, like, let's say it is Garland, KPJ and Okoro and mm-hmm. Sexton still playing 34 minutes off the bench. They're still playing 20 minutes together. So that's why those minutes matter. And I think yeah. people get way too hung up on whether or not four of those 20 minutes come at the start of a game. Like, yeah. Every single minute matters the same amount. And as long as they're a net positive, why not embrace it? No, I think that's a really good point. We talk a lot about just like m- the meaning of minutes on this show. Like mm-hmm. even going back to that discussion of rebuilds, like the idea of going, oh yeah, just throw young player X out there to get minutes. And it's like, all right, yeah, cool. Like we've got like Mitchell Robinson's a rookie center, but we're playing Nikola Jokic tonight. And like, he's probably going to get his lunch handed to, or whatever the saying is like, <laughs> yeah. he's probably not going to have good minutes out here. So like, is that really productive? Um, right. But I do think that idea of just like minutes being more than just like this static, Oh, you played four at the start and like, you didn't play the four at the start. So that's bad. Like there's more to it than simply counting where they came. Yeah, and having veterans in place, having guys that can help accentuate the strengths of young players, like, that's super important. Like, we saw it with the Cavs. Like, Kyrie was incredibly efficient those first few years in Cleveland, 
but like he was efficient in, <laughs> despite the fact that he's starting next to like CJ Miles, Alonzo G, Tristan Thompson playing power forward, and Anderson Verichel. Like there was no spacing there. They they finally added Spencer Hawes in year three, and Spencer Damn Hawes got them to be basically a 500 team just by virtue of fit. Like I, I really do think that it's important, even if you don't want to bring in too many guys that raise the floor. Like if you don't want to start. Like, if you're in the Knicks, you don't want to spend a bunch of money on guys that are going to get you wins that aren't part of your long-term future. You can still bring in veterans that can, one, help out, like role players that will accentuate, like whether it be shooters or combo guards that can take some of the uh, the load off of playmaking, and also guys that can be mentors and, and provide leadership, because that's really, really important. Because I, I, I really do think a, a lot of prospects do get, quote-unquote, ruined uh, by being put in bad situations and bad environments. Yeah. No, it's like, I don't know, his rookie year, Kevin Knox was, like, historically bad. Like, just in terms of, I forget what stat it was, but it was, like, he was one of the lowest, like, net rating guys ever. Yeah, it Um, it was him. We were grateful for that because he was just, just behind or ahead of Sexton, whichever way you want to look at that. Uh, the, the advanced stats were not too kind. And and for the record, Kevin Knox would be one of the Knicks guys I'm out on. I, I, I like RJ. I like Frankie Smokes. I, I like uh, Obi Toppin. Um, I'm, I'm happy the cast didn't take Obi. I, I didn't like him at that spot, but getting him at eight, oh my God. Like he, He's yeah. going to be a really good offensive player, and uh, there's enough reasons to believe he can be at least a good team defender in, yeah. in time. Um, but yeah, Kevin Knox. Mm, no, no, not not high on him. And, and if you want to give us Mitchell Robinson for Andre Drummond, I'm I'm all for it too. If Thibs wants to go all in, I will take that off your hands. Don't don't you get worry. The, uh, get the Andre Drummond coming home narrative started now. From <laughs> Mount Vernon, man, you got to bring him home. Um, but like um, circling back to that Kevin Knox thing, though, like at some point, if a guy's playing that badly, like he knows how it's going. He knows it's not going great. Like, you can't just keep throwing him out there for 35 minutes when it's like, okay, yeah, by minute seven, he has realized that this is not a good night. Yeah. Like, those veterans are important. Like, there's definitely a, f- a fine line between that, too. Um, like I said, I, I'm, I'm a Heat fan. Um, at the moment, the Heat have been starting Tyler Hero at point guard to start the season. Mm-hmm. Um, too much, uh, like, pitchfork raising from Heat fans because of he's turning the ball over a lot. Um, but I, I think um, they're often – I mean, maybe this thing happens on, you know, teams that are in more of, like, the heat situation um, where, you know, fans want us to start the season, like, you know, 5-0 and instead of 2-3 and because we just came off a finals appearance. But I do think there's a lot of value in sort of this, like, managing between like bad minutes and also just like kind of a trial by fire like the only way that a guy like Tyler Hero is going to learn how to play the point guard is if you start him at point guard for a bunch of games and he is bad for some of them um and I think that kind of goes for a lot of what we've been saying here especially about um uh Sexton and Garland now one player in the Cavs um Tom and I have brought up many times in this show in like eight episodes, despite him not being talked about that much, because I think we're two of the last uh, people on um, the Dante Exum Island. (laughs) So can you tell us how he's looked? I saw that he's started two games now um, for the Cavs. Um, I think he played like over 35 minutes last night Mm -hmm. um, or the night before sometime this weekend. Um, 
is there is there any hope for Exum to really uh, pan out? So, I'm happy with what I've seen. I mean, the biggest issue with Exum is health and kind of consistency. Uh, he, he's looked good in the minutes with Cleveland. Like, uh, he was a big part of beating Atlanta because he did a great job on Trey Young and wasn't fouling him. That's pretty goddamn hard to do, part of my French. Um, but, like, he's someone that has helped them out. And, and right now he's starting at a power or, or a small forward uh, just because they have so many injuries and Jetty Osmond just kind of wasn't clicking with the starting unit. They want to keep him in that role off the bench because that's kind of what they foresee of him. Um, but I think long-term Exum, especially as an expiring contract is going to be an, another one of those asset plays. Like I think he's going to be someone that's moved at the deadline um, because you talk about the guys that the Cavs have. And once Kevin Porter Jr. is back in the lineup um, and Damian Dotson certainly is someone that merits minutes as well, those guys are going to be kind of running that second unit. And when you're staggering one of Garland and Sexton and, and bringing them uh, or summing them out fairly soon into the game, they're going to be running the second unit. And I, I just think when you're trying to get reps to those guys, if you're trying to get Kevin Porter Jr. 34 minutes along with Garland and Sexton and Okoro all getting like that 34 minutes or whatever, um, there's just not a whole lot of room for X. Like they, there just isn't. And I, I think kind of the, the hope there is one, they got two second round picks just for taking on Exum, uh, moving Jordan Clarkson as an expiring Um and the Cats have kind of done the cycle of moving expirings for a guy that expires the following year because um, for the, the warts that Dan Gilbert has, he's willing to pay money. And they've taken on salary uh, to get those picks. And then they flip the that guy that's eventually expiring for more picks and more assets to to kind of restock the cupboard because they went all in when it when LeBron was here. So uh, I do think Exum's going to have some value. I, I don't really anticipate a whole lot in return for him. Um, I would certainly be, I would welcome him coming back and kind of being that de facto backup point guard for them. Um, but I, I just think that the, the most likely outcome is for him to be one of those guys that's moved at the deadline. Part of the Andre Drummond coming home trade, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, hey, if you want to give us a, the Knicks, you know another what? point guard. <laughs> I, I think I think we just worked out uh, Andre Drummond and Dante Exum for Mitchell Robinson and Frankie Smokes. I, I think oh, that's what what's happening here. I think that's what's happening here. We're going to break Nick's Twitter. <laughs> the, the Knicks are just going to accumulate every like underperforming lottery point guard of the last five years. Yeah, basically, like one every year, we're just going to try and carry like seven at one position. We did power mm-hmm. forward already. Now we're moving to point guards, and then like. In like 2026, we'll look back and be like, yeah, technically speaking, we've had like six players at every position for the past six years. Like, I don't know how this didn't work. I, I think the I think the seven small forwards is what's really going to push the Knicks over the top. I, I think that's going to be the the money year for them. Um, oh, yeah. But I mean, I'm I'm familiar with that. I mean, the the Cavs have their own thing going of taking every single Jazz guard that fails. I mean, we we, we seem to just keep cycling those guys out of there, whether it be Rodney Hood, Alec Burks, uh, Dante Exum. Uh, I'm sure after Donovan Mitchell keeps shooting bricks, we'll uh, eventually take him on. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. I was just about to ask. You're sitting there just being like, miss it, miss it, miss it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we already caught our own Donovan Mitchell and Sexton, so uh, we're, we're fine there. <laughs> yeah. Take on like a 40-year-old Mike Conley in a few years. 
Oh dear lord, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's a scary real possibility. So please, I'm, I'm gonna knock on wood and uh, maybe burn some sage like Kyrie. What's more of a veteran presence than a guy who has been playing for longer than some players have been alive? Yeah, and he played for Ohio State. Like this is starting to get scary. Oh, as I'm I thinking through, Lee's coming home. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like there's a lot of talk. Um, uh, when we're talking about you know the the contenders or these playoff teams, there's a lot of talk about like a, a team identity. Like, what is this team good at? What are you know its kind of go-to plays? Um, and as the Cavs look to kind of progress into that next echelon of like Eastern Conference teams, what do you think that identity is going to be? Man, that is a fascinating question. And, and uh, part of the reason why I said coming into this season, the, mo- the three most important people uh, that or the most important people of this year for the Cavs is Colin Sexton, because we're, we're coming up on that extension time after this season. Darius Garland, because he needed to look better physically right away um, because he was not healthy last year. And we need to see if that's just who he is now or can he look like this physically. So now that he looks like this physically, you can live with mistakes and uh, cold shooting nights or games where he turns the ball over because it's all in the service of getting better. But the third was Kobe Altman, because we've already talked about a couple of guys, Andre Drummond and Dante Exum, that probably aren't going to be on this team by the end of this year you should know what the Cavs' identity is. And I, I think with J.B. Bickerstaff, you're going to have a team that plays hard, that, that, that really preaching the accountability. We had Larry Nance Jr. on the podcast, and that was something he probably said 40 times. Uh, so that that was a lot of fun talking to him. But like as cliche as it is, like that's how you change the perception of a franchise. And if Drummond's moved, the, the Cavs are going to have a lot of cap space this summer. And I kind of anticipate them doing what Atlanta did. One last lottery pick and then start to go in. Uh, like to actually make a legit push for the playoffs and, and round out the roster. So um, I think if you don't know what the Cavs' identity is by um, the end of free agency next year, that's a bit of a red flag. Because accumulating assets is, I shouldn't say it's an easy part, um, but that's an easier part than building something that's sustainable because you're going to take swings on guys. It's going, some are going to work out. Some are not. How, how are you on your feet? Are you light on your feet? Are you able to make adjustments? Are you able to change your team building plan on the fly? Um, I'm sure they didn't expect Colin Sexton to look like this. And I'm sure that's going to have changes in the way they view team building as well. Um, So I do think they want to be a team um, that, plays hard on defense that creates fast break opportunities i think they want to get up and down the floor um but really it's going to come down to what decisions they make this season who who does andre drummond get moved for is it strictly assets or is there a young player that comes back in that deal that's going to be part of this core who do they take uh in the draft are they going to get some luck and end up with Cade or are they going to take Mobley? Is it going to be a situation where they fall back in the draft and have to develop another forward and how he fits in? So I I do think um, the Cavs have shown a willingness to be versatile in their team building. Um, But at some point answers have to come. And I I do think that that period almost has to be uh, after free agency this next off season. So with that free agency in mind, I know it's kind of hard to speculate, but are there any of those guys that are available this offseason that you're really looking to as like that next good piece for the Cavs? 
Oh, man, I haven't had a good look at free agency yet. I mean, my wish list uh, for a Drummond trade is for him to go to the Clippers and getting Zubak. Um, I, I, I forget who had kind of put that out into the ether, but it's something that got my uh, alarms going off. Um, I, I think ideally... Uh, you kind of look at the center market. There's not a whole lot of great guys there. Maybe you take a, a swing at a restricted free agent, um, but it's a weak center market next year. So I, I'm really hoping that that comes back in the in the trade. Um, if not, look for kind of combo power forwards, like combo a small forward, power forward. Being a tweener used to be such a bad thing. Now it's not. Um, I, I think that that'll be interesting. Um, it, it really matters so much changes with whoever they trade guys for. Like if they do move Kevin Love in the off off season, who, who's that going to be for? Like there was a rumor out there that could move him for Tobias Harris. Like, yeah, you're taking on more bad money, but that's someone that's younger, like four years younger, can get up and down the floor, play with the young guys. Like kind of feels like a win-win. Um, yeah. But it's really hard to answer those team building questions. I, I'd love to not sit on this fence. It, it's a little uncomfortable. It's riding up my butt a bit. Um, but I'm going to have to straddle this fence for now because I, I don't know how the young guys are going to develop, who the vets get moved for. And that's really going to dictate what type of players fit best around this core. Yeah, I think one thing that has surprised me when I kind of go through like the, you know, some of the tracking stats with the Cavs um and this goes to your point about trying to move Drummond is that I think the the public perception of the Cavs right now based on you know NBA Twitter and things like that is you know Garland and Sexton it's Mm -hmm. a fast moving young team but the Cavs are also like second in the league right now in like post-ups per game which feels like a (laughs) almost a solely Andre Drummond thing um, or you know other guys in the team that you might uh, know more about. So it feels like this is a team that is um, is, is is inching closer to um, its identity every day, and that they're that Andre Drummond trade away from like kind of really solidifying it. Yeah, I, I don't think you can fully like unless you're giving Drummond an extension. I don't think you can fully kind of craft the identity of this team while Drummond and Love are still here. Like, it, maybe Drummond does sign an extension and he becomes part of that identity. But as long as you're in this limbo, you can't really count him as being part of that. So uh, it, it's an interesting spot. Like, one of the nice things about being a Cavs fan is they're always active. Like, they always are good for a few trades. And, and that's always interesting because... I mean, everyone gets a little excited about the transaction in today's NBA, maybe a little too much. Um, But yeah, I I do think that um, whatever happens with Drummond, whatever happens with Love is really going to kind of shake things up. And uh, it's going to usher in whatever this next era of Cavs basketball looks like. And I mean, you're hopeful the young guys keep improving, but reality is that's not always the case. So you kind of have to enjoy the process, right? Like enjoy the growth, enjoy the development, because that's what this is all about. Yeah. Speaking of um, that enjoyment factor, I I just kind of wanted to end this off on like a kind of positive note that doesn't think about like the team building stuff. Like what has been, you know, the best parts of this early season for you as a Cavs fan? I mean, I imagine that you weren't expecting this sort of like hot start where the Cavs are, you know, one of the more talked about young teams in the NBA. So is there any like specific moment or specific move that a player made that really like 
kind of like solidified your like excitement about this young team? Um, I'm just going to say generally uh, the Garland game against Detroit, uh, double overtime, I think that was one of the better games that that duo had played. I just saw the alert on my phone. Garland and Okoro are both out tonight against Orlando, so that's going to suck. Um, hopefully they're, they're back soon. Um, but really Garland looking good and, and looking kind of the way I predicted feels good because every now and then it's nice to get a bit of a reminder that I'm not fully insane um, like because I've been really high on Garland and him being good is very significant for the rebuild like coming into that draft like um, Thomas you, you probably remember like there was talk RJ or Garland right like he was firmly yeah. in that second tier now he's yeah. showing why he was in that John Moran RJ Barrett second tier right like he was supposed to be a franchise point guard. And if he actually is, that simplifies a whole lot with this rebuild. So, uh, so much of the season really does come down to how Garland looks. Um, I'm happy that his shoulder injury against Atlanta isn't serious. They're, this is probably precautionary. I think a lot of teams are going to be extra cautious with the quick turnaround time. So um, I, I would say the fact that he does look advanced as a playmaker and that he's out there making a difference um, is probably the most exciting thing for myself as a cast fan. All right. Well, that's, I think that's all we have, right, Dave? All right. Then, uh, Justin, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, before we head out on this one, uh, you want to tell the people where they can find you, plug your stuff a bit? Absolutely. Uh, so if you're not already following me on Twitter, don't. I'm awful on there, but you can find me at Cavs Canada. Just slap the uh, the Cavs in front of the Canada. It looks way better in writing than it does out loud. Uh, you can also find the Chase Down podcast. Uh, we record twice a week. Uh, we talk about the Cavs, but also talk about the rest of the NBA because, I mean, when you're an informed NBA fan, you get more of an appreciation for the league. Uh, so, so we like to talk about everything through kind of our lenses as Cavs fans. Um, and if you want to support us, you can support us the same way you should support this damn podcast, which is by leaving that rating, leave that review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books because Apple's metrics are trash. Uh, it really does help all of us uh, podcasters out there. So, uh, yeah, ch check us out. Maybe you'll like us. Thank you very much, Justin. Have a, have a great night, man. Thanks for no coming problem. Thank, Thank you so much for having me, guys. See you.